The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Welcome to our podcast, The Tactical Take, where we discuss our thoughts on the markets, the opportunities and risks we're seeing, and how we're positioned in the tactical sleeves of the model portfolios. My name is Jack Janisiewicz, Model Portfolio Manager and Portfolio Strategist with Natixis Investment Manager Solutions, and I also lead our investment committee. Our multi-asset hybrid models combine strategic investments in active mutual funds with tactical positions in passive ETFs, and they reflect many of the themes I'll be discussing today. U.S. equities once again are in the lead with large cap tech continuing to drive returns. And as a knock-on effect, growth is outpacing value. Japanese equities continued to show strength as well, given the likelihood that the Bank of Japan will remain easier for longer as they attempt to arrest deflation worries. European equities are lagging the gains seen in the U.S., while emerging market stocks languish as Chinese equities continue their multi-year downtrend. One month into 2024, and it seems like Groundhog Day all over again. 2023 on repeat, at least with equities. The bond markets was, well, a bit lackluster and boring for once. At least that's what it seemed on the surface. And yet the benchmark 10-year Treasury bond began the year with a yield of 3.88%, only to see it reach a peak of 4.18% a few weeks into January, and then see a sharp rally back to 3.91% to close out the month. A pretty interesting roller coaster of a ride to basically get us right back to where we started. So, what happened during the first month of 2024? Not surprising, it's all about growth and inflation. So let's start with the inflation backdrop. And the inflation data continues to improve. December headline CPI came in at 0.3%, posting the second consecutive upside surprise as it printed ahead of consensus estimates for 0.2%, while core CPI printed in line with expectations. That pushed up the year-on-year headline print to 3.35% from 3.1% and drove core down to 3.93% from 4%, both a touch above consensus estimates. Predictively, the initial read off of the headline print was to scream hot. Inflation's accelerating. The last mile will be difficult. You get the picture here. But recall that the Fed focuses on core PCE when referencing its 2% inflation target, not core CPI. And the market tends to focus more on CPI simply because it gets released earlier in the month versus PCE. As we've said before, it's all about core PCE. And that simply means that CPI and PPI are only useful to the extent that they inform us of what PCE will look like at the end of the month. But let's rip through the data and the details of CPI and use them to compare and contrast what we saw in the PCE print for January to get a better picture of the inflation outlook for the U.S. The upside surprise in CPI was driven by the same few line items we've grown accustomed to as of late, shelter, motor vehicle insurance, and medical care services. We've seen material progress in cooling shelter inflation, but that progress has been stubbornly slow in recent months. But market rents continue to point to plenty more disinflation to come, and while both CPI and PCE use the same price inputs for shelter, the far greater weight in CPI of over 42% versus just 17% in core PCE means the stickiness of core CPI is overstated relative to core PCE. Shelter is a matter of weighting difference, 
but motor vehicle insurance, medical care services, and airfare are matters of both scope and methodology. In other words, differences in what prices are included and how they're calculated. Medical care services have a far greater weight in PCE thanks to the inclusion of health care costs paid for on behalf of consumers such as employers and government-sponsored health insurance. Not only is the weight larger, but the methodology differs as well, particularly for health insurance costs. Airfare prices can also deviate thanks to differences in measuring price changes. And similar differences show up in motor vehicle insurance, where the BLS samples premiums but excludes dividends or payments made out to policyholders, while PCE uses PPI as the input. Put these details together with what we learned from the subsequent PPI print, and we get a much more encouraging picture for PCE. And sure enough, that is indeed what we got. The most important point to highlight for PCE, the three-month change in core PCE annualized stands at 1.5%, and the six-month change annualized is 1.9%, both below the Fed's target of 2%. Why are we paying more attention to these numbers rather than the year-on-year -year print, which came in at 2.9% and remains above target? Because the shorter time periods indicate momentum. And do we really care about inflation levels 12 months ago? Because that's what you're comparing today's data with. Seems old, stale, and outdated, no? Point being, inflation momentum is slowing, and the full year change is on track to hit 2%, likely by summer, if current trends persist. Why do I say that? So let's look at the last six months of core PCE releases. We see the following prints starting at June of 2023 and ending with the most recent December of 2023 print. So 0.17%, 0.12%, 0.10%, 0.33%, 0.14%, 0.06%, and 0.17%. Just one of these last six prints came in above 0.2%. So let's assume that this trajectory continues well into 2024. If we assume that the next six months see the present trend of monthly core PCE dropping by 20 basis points each month, the annual change in core PCE will hit 2.1% by May of this year. That's just one-tenth of 1% above the Fed's stated target of 2%. Close enough in our books. The important takeaways, core CPI and PCE will be showing signs of divergences over the coming months. That wedge will continue to grow. And while that gap should compress in the months ahead as base effects turn more favorable for core CPI, CPI will continue to overstate the stickiness of inflation. Core PCE continues to rapidly disinflate and could very well be on pace to hit 2% by early summer. And that's all that really matters for the Fed. While CPI will give us hints into what PCE will look like, PCE is what matters the most, not CPI. Let's fast forward to the first FOMC meeting of 2024. As expected, the Fed continued to hold rates steady, with the upper bound on Fed funds sitting at 5.5%, while quantitative tightening continues unchanged. No surprises here, and for the most part, the decisions and pressure were much of the same we've heard from Powell in the recent meetings. That said, there were a few notable takeaways. The statement saw a meaningful rewrite with the anticipated removal of the tightening bias from the language. But the surprise came in what replaced that language, an odd statement suggesting that they are still waiting for greater confidence that inflation is moving sustainably towards 2% before easing. 
and that was followed up by Powell's buried lead 30 minutes into the presser, which saw him forcefully push back against expectations for the first cut in March. While the March pushback stole the show, we continue to stress that it matters little whether the first cut comes in March or May. Growth is holding up, inflation is moving back towards target, and the Fed is shifting to an easing bias. That's all you really need to know here. That's our elevator pitch for our outlook for 2024. The statement acknowledged and Powell confirmed during the presser that they already have confidence that inflation is durably moving back towards target. They simply want greater confidence. What's greater confidence? It's not faster disinflation or slower growth. It's just more of the same. The hurdle for the greater confidence is just a continuation of the trend we've established over the past seven months. That's a pretty low bar when all signs point to disinflation continuing and perhaps even accelerating, as we've discussed earlier. This reads more as consensus management, concessions to the hawks to build a consensus and a unanimous decision. Powell may be ready to begin easing, but he needs to manage a committee that includes some voters that aren't quite there yet. Given the strength in the economy and resilience in the labor market, Powell and company likely believe they have more flexibility to wait a little longer to ensure that the disinflation process doesn't stall out above target. Given the residual echo effects of the pandemic bullwhip and subsequent supply-side recovery that have driven the robust disinflationary growth we've seen over the past year, the Fed is waiting a little longer to get a cleaner read of the economy once those effects fade. And one of the key reasons for that caution? CPI revisions. This is a topic Governor Waller brought up in recent weeks, and Powell's acknowledgement of those revisions when asked during the presser said it all. They were caught off guard by revisions last year, and they don't want a repeat of this at this stage of the cycle this year. Each year, the Bureau of Labor Statistics recalculates seasonal adjustment factors to include price movements from the just completed year. Last year, that update led to meaningful revisions to the disinflationary trend. While the year-on-year figure doesn't change, the shorter-term trend can change quite a bit. The 2022 revisions released last February showed inflation peaked much earlier than previously thought, and the slope of disinflation was actually much flatter in the back half of the year. Yes, this revision is specifically for CPI, but recall that there are inputs from CPI that feed directly into PCE. The Fed wants to make sure the trend that's emerged over the past seven months is still intact after these revisions. And that means that while Powell seemingly slammed the door shut for a March cut, there's still some scope for the first cut to come in March should those revisions that come out on February 9th show little change to the trend in January and February CPI remains benign. And if the Fed holds pat and doesn't begin dialing back restrictions in March, they'll certainly be doing so at a meeting where they're likely revising down their core PCE estimate and adding in one more cut to the dot plot, given the continued disinflationary process that we've already likely seen. The last noteworthy element to hit on, quantitative tightening or QT. Powell explicitly acknowledged that QT will be a topic of discussion at the next meeting. As the level of reserves closes in on the so-called minimum acceptable level, it naturally makes sense to slow the pace of the balance sheet reduction. This will predictably dominate headlines in coming months, but just as we overestimate the power of monetary policy, we do the same with balance sheet management. QE and QT remain two of the most misunderstood parts of monetary policy. In short, it's a sideshow. 
Eventually, they'll slow the pace and then halt balance sheet runoff when they feel reserves are sufficient for clearing payments within the banking system, which are the only thing reserves can be used for. It's just policy normalization, like recalibrating policy rates back from restrictive territory to neutral. You'll probably hear that slowing or pausing QT will be stimulative and will spark a resurgence in inflation pressures, and we'll take a pass on that one. QT matters only to the extent that investors think it matters. Risk appetite is the key variable driving markets, not balance sheet management. Cuts are not a function of if, but when. The debate rages on about how many. We continue to hear that the market is getting ahead of itself when pricing six to seven cuts. But remember that pricing reflects the probability-weighted distribution of outcomes. The modal outcome remains three to four cuts, in line with the Fed's guidance, while the pricing of recession tail risks leads to six to seven cuts. Perhaps we need to walk back some of the probability of those recession odds given the resilience of growth and progress on disinflation. But the market isn't as divorced from the Fed as the pundits would have you believe. But neither of those debates, when do they start and how much do they cut, matters as long as growth holds up and inflation continues to move back to target. The dual mandate is coming back into balance, and with it, the Fed is shifting to an easing bias. Cutting not because growth is cratering, but rather because inflation is returning to target. Recalibrating policy back from a restrictive to neutral. Turning to our portfolio positioning, as we head into February, a few things to highlight. We added some high beta exposure to the equity sleeves of our portfolios back at the end of October. We took profits on this short-term tactical trade in two legs, selling the last lot at the beginning of the month. We now head into February with a slight underweight to equities, still favoring U.S. large cap with a tilt towards growth. We mentioned in our 2024 outlook the probability for a growth scare. Maybe we're a little bit off sides on this risk, and this should be flipped around to a growth reacceleration scare. To varying degrees, there now seems to be upside risks to growth, inflation, and Fed hawkishness that weren't prevalent last month, and markets may need some time to digest this backdrop, most likely through fewer Fed cuts and maybe a retracement of some of the Treasury rally we've seen. And in doing so, this causes a bout of indigestion with risk assets. February tends to be a choppy month with regard to seasonal factors, and given the strength we've seen in the tech space, we would not be surprised to see some consolidation this month. However, we'd view any pullback as simply just that, a breather, profit-taking, consolidation. A well-needed pause after a pretty good run that started back at the end of October. And this would leave us as buyers of any dip. Again, back to our elevator pitch, growth isn't precipitously dropping off the table, and the Fed is done hiking, and that's bullish long-term. To wrap up our podcast, The Tactical Take, this is Jack Janisiewicz. Hope you enjoyed the commentary and thanks for listening. Important information for listeners outside the United States. Natixis Investment Managers Distribution and Service Groups include Natixis Investment Managers SA, Luxembourg, Natixis Investment Managers International, France, and their affiliated distribution and service entities. These entities conduct any regulated activities only in and from the jurisdictions in which they are licensed or authorized. Their services and the products they manage are not available to all investors in all jurisdictions. For additional information and important podcasts disclosures for listeners outside the U.S., please consult imnatixis.com slash intl slash podcasts and other media.
Further, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of Natixis Investment Managers. These views were provided as of the date of recording and will not be revised. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute investment advice or an offer to buy or sell a financial product from any Natixis Investment Managers entity. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Investment risk exists with equity, fixed income, and alternative investments. There is no assurance that any investment will meet its performance objectives or that losses will be avoided. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. Performance data discussed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results. Indexes are not investments, do not incur fees and expenses and are not professionally managed. It is not possible to invest directly in an index. This document may contain references to copyrights, indexes and trademarks that may not be registered in all jurisdictions. Third-party registrations are the property of their respective owners and are not affiliated with Natixis Investment Managers or any of its related or affiliated companies. Collectively Natixis, such third-party owners do not sponsor, endorse or participate in the provision of any Natixis services, funds or other financial products. Provided by Natixis Distribution, LLC, 888 Boylston Street, Boston, MA02199. Natixis Investment Managers includes all of the investment management and distribution entities affiliated with Natixis Distribution, LLC and Natixis Investment Managers SA. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers. Natixis Advisors, LLC provides advisory services through its division Natixis Investment Manager Solutions. Advisory services are generally provided with the assistance of model portfolio providers, some of which are affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers, LLC, Natixis Advisors, LLC does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax or legal professional prior to making any investment decision. Member SIPC, POD 37 February, 2024, ADTRAC 6378049, 1, 1, expiration date February 28, 2025.